Hi friends, this is Sean and Lynette from the Open Adoption Project and we are showing up here in your podcast feed with a bonus episode for Juneteenth. If you remember a while back in episode 18, we interviewed Dakota. He's an adoptee and we love him. And he works with the Destiny Adoption Foundation and they hosted a Juneteenth conference yesterday, Saturday, and we got permission from him to share it with our listeners. It was really great. They have a few speakers. They have Samantha Williams, she's a birth mom, and they have Gina and Drew Wilder, who are adoptive parents. And we really loved tuning into the conference and hearing what the speakers had to say and are just so grateful for the opportunity to share it with you. Yeah, and because these are members of our adoption community, we thought it would be fun to learn about Juneteenth together, also considering how it fits into the adoption world. So we hope you enjoy this webinar from the Destiny Adoption Foundation. My name is Dakota. I'm the CEO and founder of Destiny Adoption Foundation. We started in Idaho in 2018 currently based out of Utah with me and my board in the Salt Lake area. I'm super excited that we um, had this idea to kind of host a Juneteenth conference webinar. Uh, we put together a stellar lineup, so we're super excited for um, the speakers that we have today. If you guys have any questions or comments for me about our foundation, please reach out to me um, on our Instagram page. And then if anything pertaining to the webinar, um, feel free to use that questions box. I just wanted to let all of you guys know, um, we know that most of the participants here will be friends and family of the speakers, as well as families hoping or waiting to adopt. So we're not trying to put any pressure on this, but we do have an, a program called Dollars for Destiny, which is how we stay um, functional. It allows individuals and families to donate small amounts, as little as $3 a month, um, on a recurring basis, just to kind of show your support, we would love if you guys have the ability to do that. Also, if you guys um, are or know of any local businesses or are a part of any businesses that would look um, be interested in working together as like a, a sponsorship, please reach out to us for those options as well. So we have Sam, which is a birth mom. She will start. She lives in Vero Beach, Florida. We're excited to hear from her. Um, the format of this will be they'll kind of introduce themselves, tell their story. I pose some similar questions for each of the speakers that they can cover. So this will be pretty much um, them speaking and not super interactive, but they're free to use the audience as well if they'd like. So without further ado, I would invite Sam to hop on and I will hop off. Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? So I am Samantha Rosetta, Samantha Rosetta Williams. I am a birth mom. I have a, been a birth mom for 19 years now. I officially went through, started my process when I was 15. I got pregnant at 15, so I was a teen parent. Um, it kind of just happened because I didn't have the education of sex. I didn't have the education of consequences of sex. So it was really, really tough. I actually was told that I could not keep my baby. Even if I considered keeping him, I didn't have that option. It was more so of, if you keep this baby, you're not staying in my house. So I grew up in the church and 
I had these mentors that I literally babysat from 12 to 14 and they stepped in and told me that they will help me and they took my baby in. So that was a huge blessing. I didn't have to go through the process of putting him in the system or, you know, having to do all this tedious paperwork. They officially adopted him when he was roughly between three and six. It happened so fast, so I can't really tell you the exact age, but it has been a blessing. It has been bittersweet. It has been all the feels. I feel everything from it, but the biggest thing is he just recently graduated high school. He is a college student. He is an athlete. He is well-mannered. He's well-liked. He's just your all-American kid. And honestly, if I would have kept him, I know I would have did a good job, but he may have not had all the the blessings that he has now. So I do reside in Florida, like um, Dakota said, Vero Beach, Florida. I am a mom outside of being a birth mother. I did have three other boys after him. So I'm a wonderful boy mom. It, it is amazing. And also, um, I'm just, I just love being a mom. I love being a birth mom. We don't get enough recognition. You just hear about the children and the adoptive parents, but we play a huge part in the triad. We really do. Also, I am in the process of writing two books, one titled Girl in the Mirror, which will be a book about me, my life. And the other book is going to be Life After Adoption Placement, where you will get to get the insight of how I handle it, um, the process of handling it, because it's something that sticks with us forever. It is a part of our life. It's a part of our story. It is something that we're going to take to the grave with us. And being a birth mom has been difficult. Um, pretty much like, you know, I got a lot of grief from my own community, my own family, uh, a lot of people didn't understand why I chose the route that I chose. A lot of people didn't agree with it. A lot of people felt like I just gave my baby away. I did not give him away. Um, and it's just, it's been really tough. It's been really tough. So that is pretty much my story. That's pretty much who I am. Um, if any of you guys have any questions, let me know. Let Dakota know if it's anything else you want to know. Um, and that's what I got for you. Any questions, Dakota? Yeah, so a couple a couple questions I posed in our email. Uh, because Juneteenth is tomorrow, can you tell us um, what you do to embrace your culture? I know you're from the South. Um, if you could change one thing about today's society, what would it be? So what I do to embrace my culture is, honestly, I embrace it because I love being African-American. I love being Black. Um, as you can see, my picture in the background, that's just like something about me. Um, and the way I do it is just, I also educate my boys. You know, it is, you know, we all see what's going on in the world and how hard it is for a lot of African-American men and how like the grief they get. So I just teach them that it's black is beautiful. Like I'm sure a lot of you guys can agree with me. Being black is beautiful. We are, I teach them that we're powerful. I teach them that, you know, it's no one like us. We do have, you know, guys don't get on me, but you know, I'm not that 
woman that's just like, you know, all soul food, but we do. That's one of the things we do to embrace it. Um, I educate them with books. I educate them with movies. I just have those those conversations with them. And something that you said, something that um, I would change. Was that what it was? Yeah. Is there anything that you would change in today's society to help us be more inclusive, fair, and to like improve the racial equity in the country? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of conversations need to be had because racism is going to live on forever. Racism is happening as young as children. So it's just like being open, having an open mind and heart and having those conversations and being honest and authentic and just agreeing to disagree. We may not agree on everything. We may not, you know, understand everything, but just have an open mind. I feel like if a lot more people did that, um, it would help us all. It would help our younger generations, the older generations, you know, it may help, but because I am a mom and my youngest child is two and I do have a 14 year old, it's just having those open conversations and having an open mind and an open heart. And I feel like if we can do that, a lot of things could change. It's all about the mindset, if you ask me. Awesome. So kind of a two-part question to follow that up. You said those conversations are extremely critical, and I really believe that. Um, to take it from two different perspectives, what would you encourage people of color to teach their kids about racism? And then vice versa, what would you teach um, people who have white children or, or um, who don't have that racial ethnicity or um, diversity in their family to be more inclusive and fair? Um, that's a good question, Dakota. That's good. So what I would say is like for me, my, um, my 14 year old, he did date a Caucasian girl, a little white girl. And I had to tell him that, you know, you have to, in her household, they may not have the conversations of black or African-American, but if you sit down and have those conversations and one start with letting them know it's other people in the world, it's not just you walking around, you know, it's like, it starts with respect. You got to teach them respect regardless of them not liking or them thinking they're ugly or different. If you start with respect, everything else will follow. And that goes for white kids, black kids. It starts with the respect and just the honesty that is, that's just what I do in my household. And that's how I teach my kids. Like my seven-year-old, he doesn't see color, but he knows it is other races, but it's not like he's going to school, be like, you know, saying certain things or picking or doing anything like that. And that's because we have the conversations of it's different people in the world, it's different races in the world, and this is what it is. Awesome. I love that. Um, when can we expect your books to be ready? So my goal is September, especially for um, The Girl in the Mirror, because September is my 35th birthday month. And this book is something that the world needs. Be on the lookout for that. And um, he's laying on me, but you can't see it. I do. I did create a T-shirt for birth moms, but it applies to any and everybody to where your voice matters too. And those are a part of my brand. That is a part of my story. That is a part of even with, you know, Juneteenth, your voice matters too. So you can also find that 
over at Samantha Rosetta. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I definitely appreciate this and I look forward to hearing from the other speakers. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Samantha. You rock. Um, it means a lot that you'd be, you'd be here and it was so good to meet you. Uh, I heard a lot of good things about you from my friend, friend Milena. So thank you. Uh-huh. We will move forward to have uh, Gina come next. Hey. Hi guys, Gina and Drew. Awesome. You guys have the floor. We'd love to have you um, speak about your story. Um, I, I posed some questions that we'd like to have you cover, but you were really good at this stuff. So we're excited to hear from you. Awesome. Well, we, we're excited to be here. Yeah. So we are a transracial adoption, well, transracial kinship adoption family. Um, you guys you obviously can see Drew and I are an interracial couple. We have four biological um, biracial children. And then uh, we have our one white daughter who um, we adopted in 2019. Um, like I said, she's a kinship adoption. So she's biologically related to Drew. Um, and um uh we've been married for 10 years and we've always knew that we wanted to adopt juice family was built on adoption um his mother is uh, his biological mother is adopted his aunt is adopted his biological uncle is adopted and his biological grandmother was adopted and so adoption has been very uh, prevalent in his family and so when we got married adoption was kind of like the like it was just like uh it was something we talked about when we first got married if mm-hmm. it happened when it would happen if we were open to it mm-hmm. those kind of things and we always knew it would mm-hmm. happen for us so it was just kind of a matter of when and that happened for us in uh, 2019 um and um we have uh we're i guess we're pretty like we do social media mm-hmm. we're on instagram and tiktok and we talk about a lot about um, multicultural family and adoption transracial adoption and um obviously i talk about like being a black mother to a white daughter and biracial children and so i talk a lot about that on uh, social media and um and i help other transracial adoptive fam- families understand what it's like um um, or well, what it's like to be a black mother to a white daughter, but also some of the things that I've had to deal with as being a black um, black woman and a black mother um, uh, in living in the U.S. and just talking about some of the um, things that we've had to deal with, um, the racism that I've had to deal with as a teenager and then as a mother as well. Awesome. When we when I first had you on my podcast almost two years ago. Um, you were a big advocate of homeschool right when COVID was happening, happening, um, kind of tell everybody about, about that journey for you. And then you became a huge advocate of black history and Juneteenth kind of tell us about, um, where that came from and how you incorporate that into your family. Yeah. So, um, in 2020, like a lot of other families, uh, one of my daughters was really struggling with learning virtually. And so we decided to homeschool. But even before then, um, I had been doing Black history with my children. But once we started homeschooling, I fully, um, sorry, her baby's having a full, uh, great time. Um, sorry, guys, I'm going to walk this way so you can hear. So in 2020, I decided to homeschool my kids to make it a lot easier for them to get the best education. And in that, when our curriculum, I ended up adding um, 
um, Black history into my kids curriculum, which was really important to me because as a kid, I obviously did not get any Black history or anything that particularly talked about uh, Black um, like Black history in any way. Uh, we would get, of course, little tidbits here and there. Of course, you get the typical civil rights movement, very short in your history book, or um, in, like talking about enslaved Black people, Black Americans, very short. Uh, and that was pretty much it. And so it wasn't until after high school, I realized how much I was not getting from the um, education system or yeah, from the education system. So once I had kids, I realized that was something that I wanted to do. And so I have black history in our kids curriculum currently. And then um, I, after high school, I learned about Juneteenth and we did little snippets um, with my toddlers. And as they got older, I would have um, bigger lessons around Juneteenth. Um, and then uh, in 2020, I ended up sharing one of my like curriculums, ended up sharing it with Old Navy and taking over. But Juneteenth and just Black history is something really important for my kids to under to learn, just because I know if um, if they if we would ever choose to send them back into public school, that's not something that most Black children or any children of any race will ever um, get to know until unless they get they themselves or their parents make the conscious decision to teach their children about Black history. And it wasn't until I started making that conscious decision myself to learn for myself and for my children and my family that I realized how much that Black Americans really had a role in in America and um, in America. And um, right now we have, um, I love Juneteenth. It's like one of my favorite things to teach my kids. And we currently have a bucket list where we check things off as a family. It's like a big little bucket list on our wall that we check off. And it's little things that build up that help um, children understand the the importance of Juneteenth. So I have it right here and I can tell you some of the things that we have, which was like make tea cakes, read the Emancipation Proclamation, support local black owned businesses, read children books on slavery, read children books on Juneteenth. Those are a couple of some of the things that we've done. And you would be really surprised about how many um, children books there are on slavery and for Juneteenth to help children understand on their level um, what Juneteenth, what slavery and what um, what like abolishing slavery was and how and how it looked and the reason the whole reasons behind it. Um, some of the other things that we have on our list on our Juneteenth list was how to learn how to be an advocate, um, uh, visit a local Juneteenth celebration. These were all things that we do as a family, just because even though I learned took the time as a high like a college student to learn about Juneteenth, my husband who is white had never learned about it until we were married and I would start celebrating it. And um, it's really important that I teach my whole family just because I have biracial children and white child who like they all need to learn because I feel like uh, it's, a, it's just a really important uh, hit part of history in America. And it's weird because I have been learning about it for so long and people, a lot of Americans are just learning about it, especially this year where it's our first year celebrating it as 
uh, a federal holiday. And a lot of people are just like, oh, it's just a little holiday. We're just getting off. I don't understand it. I don't understand. I've even had messages where people telling me, I don't understand why we're celebrating a holiday about race. But in reality, we're not celebrating a holiday about race. We're celebrating a day that Black Americans, and it's not even the day that we were, it was a day that about abolishing slavery because slavery had been abolished about about a year, a year and a half beforehand. But it was a day that they had finally found out in Galveston, Texas, that they were free. So they were free for about a year and a half before um, they, they ever knew. And of course, because the way how news travel, of course, there were um, um, slaveholders who didn't want to let their uh, enslaved people know that they were free, of course, just continued to take take advantage of that of their labor and just or would actually if some that didn't know were um, kind of pressured into saying, well, you can't go just because it is. Um, just because slavery is abolished doesn't mean it's abolished for you. And so it was just, we're celebrating a day that of course abolishing slavery, but also um, the day that a lot of black Americans really felt that um, black Americans were free. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, when making that curriculum, what were some priorities for you? And I know that you kind of just taught the history of Juneteenth, but share why it is so important being like, over 130 years later, however long it's been to, to finally make, kind of make things right. Um, why I feel like, uh, repeat the question one more time. Yeah, so there's two questions. So first, why, well, I mean, my parents have Monday off and they had no idea why, I had to tell them. My mom mm -hmm. said it was a June holiday. So um, tell us, I mean, especially your feelings, why finally making this a holiday is important to, to black Americans and Americans in general. And then second question, what was your priority in making that curriculum for your children on teaching them black history? And I, I remember like a lot of you had focuses on different individuals and stuff. So. So the first part was just why is it why is it important? for us to learn about it. I like. I feel like the reason why it's important for us to learn about it is, um, I feel like, I mean, obviously we know there's a lot of racial divide here in America right now in 2022. And I think a lot of it just comes to a lot of people not understanding and not knowing a lot about our history. Like I said, like, I know your parents didn't even know about it. They just thought it was a June holiday. And then online, because I share about it a lot, I had a person who just said, hey, it's a, a holiday about race. And I think with knowledge, I think people could understand a little bit more, but also empathize a lot more. Like celebrating a day about slavery, that should be a day that I feel like across all races should be able, everyone should be able to celebrate. But I think because a lot of people don't understand it, they just feel like oh, it's another, you know, something that's, they feel like something black is being shoved in their face. But in reality, it's about celebrating Black Americans who are Americans being able to be free and be able to have autonomy over their lives, make choices, be able to provide for their family without um, being able to have a family. And I think that's really important just because I, I mean, I know this sounds really cliche, being, being able to learn from our mistakes means that we're able to, from our history means that we're able to go forward and make a better 
um, America for everyone, for our races, but we can't do that if we're continually ignoring Black history or any history like Asian American history, anything like that. We need to learn about it so that we can have a better, a better America for everyone. And so learning about Black history, as simple as like Juneteenth, I think if more people talk about the history about it, they won't see it as just another holiday because that's not what I want as a Black American. That's exactly the opposite I want. I didn't want it to be a holiday where we just go cook out or have food and we have a day off and then we just go back to work the next day. I feel like it should be a day of learning. And that's why for us, we made it not just a day, a whole month of learning where we're checking things off of our bucket list. But that I think I feel like that's the reason why it's so important to have a holiday like Juneteenth, um, like around this. It just makes other people, it'll in a way force or maybe not force might not be the best word to say, but it might push people to want to take the time to learn about a holiday that it might not be, that might not have uh, had a huge effect on them or their ancestors. And then um, the second part was, why did I make a, was why did why I felt like our family, right? Oh yeah. How did you prioritize the curriculum when you were making that? Okay. So how I, I mean, I think the biggest part was just sitting down with my husband. Um, Cause like I said, we've been teaching it to our children little, like of course on their, uh, like their level, because our kids, we have like a nine-year-old to all the way down to a 11, will be 11 months in a couple weeks, 11 month old. And so I sat down with my husband and I started talking to him about the things that he's learned over the last couple of years and some of the things that he would want to learn. And then we also talked about some of the things that like as a family, we should learn together. And so how we prioritize it was just talking to my husband, talking about some of those things. But also I thought about some of the things that I would have wanted to learn as a child. And so little things like, like I said, um, we would visit a museum dedicated to, dedicated to like black art and black culture. Like that's little things like that, just learning. It's just a lot of things that we don't get um, as like, at least I didn't get as a child. And so just prioritizing it in that way, um, a lot of it is just things that we should not just be doing around Juneteenth, uh, but doing all around. And so I feel like those were just some of the things, things that I feel like we should be doing all the time. Uh, I prioritize it in just in that way. And so I feel like it feels weird. I probably am running around in circles, but mostly just talking to my children, um, seeing about the things that they would like to learn me, myself, thinking about the things I would have liked to learn as a child, and then talking to my husband and seeing the things that he has yet to learn or has learned and feels like we need to re, like re-talk or re-learn or teach to our children. So I just got a question that really ties into what I was going to ask you to kind of close your comments. Mm-hmm. And it says, what do you wish your friends or community would do to better support Black children and families? It's weird. I mean, I feel like, so like you guys know, we're a multicultural family. And a lot of the things that I feel like I have to do, I wish other families would do would be like, we live in a very diverse area. We make sure that we have um, diverse friends. And um, so we, um, I make sure that I have racial mirrors um, for my children, for all, like all five of them, because we not only have like I think maybe just making sure that we have diverse friends and racial mirrors around the people around our children. Um, I know there are people, I've met people who they are, um, they don't have a lot of friends. There are different races from them. And 
honestly, I feel like it's not only hurting yourself as parents, but it's hurting your children because I've been to predominantly white um, colleges where I was their probably first friend that was black. And that was really hard, not only on me, but I felt like on them because um, some of the things that they did um, while I was their friend was really harmful where I felt like I had to deal with a lot of microaggression. Uh, I had to deal with feeling very tokenized. And I, I think that would be probably the, one of the biggest things that I would wish that other families did where have more racial mirrors and more diverse friends for parents and their children, not just the children, but should children to have friends of different races, but parents as well. Because I know as a transracial adoptive mom, I make the effort to not only have people in our lives that are white, but actually have friends that I feel like who are actual friends that I could call off if something was wrong or um, like I could invite over. Like those are all important things for my kids to see because I know the kids can see the difference between someone that mommy just knows or between a friend. And I think that would be probably the most beneficial if all families, it didn't matter what race, all had very diverse friends and have racial mirrors around their children. So making sure like, you know, like a teacher or like a gymnastic teacher or um, the people that they see around them all diverse. And for us, that was living in a diverse area, but for other people, I know it can look differently, but I think that might be one of the things that I wish other families did. Cool. Um, to kind of circle around what you were talking about, I really believe that a lot of our racial divide can be mitigated as we teach and raise our children, not only educating them formally, but also like you said, like having diverse friends and being close with people of different cultures and, and backgrounds and beliefs as well. Um, you come from a unique perspective where you do have that interracial adoption, but first you had an interracial marriage. So instead of like teaching the the children all of this stuff, what, what did that, um, transition look like for you when you were marrying and dating Drew? And if he's available and has any input, then that'd be cool too. I mean, a lot of it was just learning at like early in our marriage, just little things. I, I mean, I feel like we, we've always been, I've always been, we've always been teaching and learning from each other. Uh, a lot of times too, it, it's, there have been events that have happened that we've talked about certain things. We've also had things happen to us. I mean, I don't feel like there's been anything pinpoint where I said like, this is the time where we sat and learned. I mean, I could say that for certain things, but go ahead, Dakota, can you repeat that question for Drew? Maybe he might have better. Yeah, of course. So throughout throughout tonight, we've talked a lot about teaching our children about um, racial equity, uh, you could say. Um, but I said Gina had a unique perspective because first she did it with her husband. So what does that transition look like for you as you've learned more about Gina's culture and how to be more um, sensitive and knowledgeable about black history? And what does that look like for you as you've dated and married Gina and had kids with her? Yes, yeah, I think for me, it's been really interesting. I think it's to try to sum it up. I'll try to give like just two examples. And one is um, a lot of people will say like, they don't see color. Um, like I don't see color. And so that was kind of a perspective I had for a long time is like, I just see you for you. I don't see color. The problem with that is, um, for me personally, I had a lot of ignorance to what, 
um, African-Americans and other minorities have been through. Um, a lot of ignorance just to being able to just gaslight, you know, um, things and say things didn't happen or weren't happening and those kind of things. Like I remember we first got married and we'd be walking somewhere and Junie would be like, do you not like feel uncomfortable and stuff? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I look up or look over where she's looking and people were definitely like staring at us and kind of giving us looks. And I just was like, oh, maybe they're just like looking at like how the store looks or something, you know? And it was just more of like a, that couldn't happen to me or that wouldn't happen to us. And or that doesn't um, happen. Or that doesn't, yeah. Like we're, this is way advanced. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Um, and so just going through that process of learning and it was pretty difficult. Gina and I had a, more than a few, like just heart to hearts and really coming to terms with each other and what, what it meant for us. And, um, and those kind of things. I think the other example I would give is once we adopted um, our daughter, we um, we had had some conversation about race, but not a lot because the kids were still really young. But once we adopted our daughter, one day I just remember being in the van and she pointed over and she's like, oh, look, my skin is white and daddy's skin is white. Um, and you're one of our other daughters, your skin is brown and mommy's skin is brown. But she said it in a way almost like me and daddy have this special connection and you guys are together and have this connection. It really prompted us to be like, oh, my goodness, like we really are going to have to have an in-depth discussion with ourselves and the kids about what does the color of your skin mean or what doesn't it mean? And how do we start um, having those conversations with kids, even as young as what, five, six years old? It's even younger than that, you know? four years old, four yeah. years old. And so it really prompted um, those discussions for us. Awesome, thanks for participating, Drew. Um, do you guys have have any, any last thoughts that you'd like to tag on before? No, I mean, I think one of the things is just continue to have the conversation, continue to be, like, I think I always try to continue to be an advocate and just teaching other families, multicultural families, and how we need to continue to have conversations mm -hmm. and that the world may see us one way or may continue to want to be colorblind, but in a way we should be celebrating uh, other people. Um, we should be celebrating other races, religions. Um, we should be celebrating differences instead of trying to ignore it and not see it. Um, because I honestly feel like that's what we've been doing for years, centuries. And I think changing that might get us somewhere differently. At least that's what I'm hoping. But in reality, we should never be wanting to ignore people and who they are. Because I can definitely say being black is part of who I am and being white, I feel like is mm -hmm. part of who you, who Drew is. It's not the only part of us, but I would never want someone to ignore part of me. Even like something as small as like, it's not small, but being a stay-at-home mom, that's part of me. And so when we continue wanting to say, I'm colorblind, I don't see that. You're also saying you don't see part of me and that's not, I feel like what we need here right now. I think we should continue have conversations and to continue to see people for who they are. That's awesome. Hey, thanks so much, Gina and Drew. Uh, I admire you guys a lot and I was so grateful you guys came and spent, spent a little Thank bit with us tonight. Thank you for having us. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do have two more questions, mainly one geared towards Sam from our Instagram. Um, Sam, are you available again? Yes. Awesome. And and this is based on your comfortability. So if you don't want to share, that's fine. We just had a question asking if you and your um, three boys currently have a relationship with 
the child that you placed for adoption? Yes, that's a good question. We actually do still, we, we have a relationship with him. He lives in our city. And it's funny because the boys adore him. Like my three boys that I'm raising myself, um, my 14 year old and him, you would think they grew up in the same house, but growing up, they did meet each other early on. Um, so I did used to get my now 19 year old when he was younger and he would come over to our house. I would have him on certain days, weekends and all that. So they did start off younger, um, growing up together because of the age difference, but they literally are like this. So they're really close. My seven-year-old with him being so young, he's, he knows that's his brother, but he kind of sometimes forgets like, well, he ain't here all the time. So like, is he my play play brother? And I'm like, no, he's, he's your brother. Mommy carried him in her stomach and that's your brother. So yes, we all have a relationship. Um, we even have a relationship with the adoptive parents. So that's one of our biggest blessings. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. That's happy to hear too. Um, we do have a couple minutes left. We can kind of do it open mic style if anybody has any more questions um, for Samantha or Gina and Drew or um, about Juneteenth or, or about our foundation as well. Hi, I'm Sasha and um, I am actually a family member of Sam. And I have a question for Gina and Drew actually. Awesome. Gina, are you available? Oh, yeah, we are. Cool. Perfect. So um, when you guys have that conversation with your older babies about um, the color of their skin and, and race and things of that nature, um, from your oldest, say your oldest two, your, your white adoptive daughter and your biracial biological, um, what is their reaction to the conversation? How do they feel about it? Because um, Drew, you said that there it seemed like she was making a distinction. Like I have a particular bond with daddy and you have a particular bond with mommy. So after the conversation took place, like what, how do they take it? How do they react? So I can say that when we realized that she was making distinctions like that, we started uh, automatically having the conversation about how mommy and daddy was different, but how a lot of ways we were the same as well. And we started doing that um, for her and her siblings as well. So we started saying like, oh yeah, that is true. You and dad both have white skin while your twin sister has um, like brown skin like mommy. And like, but did you know like, um, like your sister, she's eight like you and I'm like 30. Well, I'm 32 now, but like I'm 30. So that's something else that you guys have like similar so that you might have not have the same skin color, right? But you're both eight. What are something, uh, some other similarities that you guys have? And so she started spouting out a lot of the similarities that they had. I said, like, okay, well, what are some of the differences that you have? And she started spouting out some of the differences that she had uh, between her and her sister. And I was like, whoa, wow. Like you guys have a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. Like, are you guys family? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, are you guys sisters? She's like, yeah. I'm like, huh? Like, it seems like 
even mommy and daddy, we have a lot of similarities and we have a lot of differences. And you have you can see some of the differences outwardly, right? And you can see, and maybe some of the differences you can't see, and some of the similarities you can see, and some of the similarities you can't see. Like, do you feel like that makes you see your sister or mommy and daddy any differently? Do you feel any differently about us? I was like, and I tell my daughter to be very honest, just because you can't have any um can't have a good conversation without any honesty. And she's like, no, she's like, I still see you as my mom. I still see you as my sister. And so I, one, and I make it very, um, I don't want to use the word nonchalant, um, but I make it where it's something that- like a casual conversation. Yeah, we just, ca yeah, because we have the conversation often in our, fa in our family. And that's just because we're, we're a very multicultural family. We have a, like, physically on the outward, we have a lot of differences, right? Even with, with me and my biracial children, like I am black, my children are biracial. They have, obviously have different skin tone than I do. Even to, um, two of my children have different hair textures. One has the same hair texture as I do. So all between us, we have a lot of differences. And so having her be open with that and talk about that, but also make uh, also not make her be like the bad guy for wanting to point that stuff out was one of our priorities. And so she now knows if she ever wants to point that out or have the conversation that she knows that she can have that conversation with us. And we're not going to look at her in a bad way for wanting to point that stuff out just because when you point, when she points that stuff out and we bring shame into it, then it also brings this reason of why don't, doesn't mommy want to talk about that? She's black. Why doesn't want a mommy talk about um, our different skin colors? And so then you have this kind of like hush hush thing and that's not what we wanted. We want her to be able to talk about it, talk about it freely and talk about it comfortably. Okay, awesome. And um, I, I'm sorry, I had another question too. How do you guys deal having two eight-year-olds? How do you guys deal with the topic of hair? 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 I mean, that's mostly me. I'm trying to think. I, how, like I just do it. We just have the conversation um, because uh, I think out of all my girls. I think the biggest thing, and I'm not sure if this is where you're going or not. I think the biggest thing we've actually discussed or talked about is like one of our daughters can get braids and the other can't. And you just talk about okay. that. Mm -hmm. And it's a, just a different hair texture. Uh, it's a different way your hair grows. It's a different like products you use for each hair. But you're able, you you do. I think you do a great job at giving them each a very unique feeling that they each have their own. They can do their hair their own way. Yeah. And so, at least what I've seen, like you get the girls, you really make them feel unique with their own hair, and none of them that I've seen feel like shamed or like they don't have the same hair or they have to treat they it. They love their own hair, but being like able that. to appreciate yeah. their siblings' hair and the way that they get their own hair. Because all of them have, like I said, all different hair. So one has straight blonde hair and like all with all three girls with different hair, I've had to learn how to, to care and manage all three of their, including my own, because I just started my natural hair journey about four years, three or four years ago. And so, um, like Drew said, I, there, I mean, there's one of my daughters who has a hair texture to get braids and two of them that don't. And a lot of the times they are able to realize like, Hey, I would love braids, but also I will teach them like, Hey, these braids are made for certain hair textures. We haven't had the big conversation about, uh, appropriation 
yet but i've but i've taught them like braids are for protective for certain hair for certain hair textures um our daughter with blonde hair i'm like hey you don't need that like your hair grows really really well it's really long mom is able to um take care of it and manage it in a certain way that you don't need your hair braided all the time to be able to do that and i have one girl uh, one of my daughters my racial biracial daughter with very loose fine um curly hair that's not really coily or kinky and i'm like this is how mommy manages your hair and does your hair this way i use a diffuser i use curling um curling mousse and um, leave-in conditioner this is how mommy does your hair and it's different from your sister who has blonde straight hair but it's also different from your sister who has um, curly coily hair and so like we they've learned that they're they they're not a very early age that they all have different hair and but they've also learned that it they're all their hair is managed a different way and so since we've been doing it at a very young age they don't kind of they don't really question it uh, very much. They don't really ask, well, why can she get her hair braided and not? Because a lot of the times if they're like, hey, that's really pretty. Like one of my sisters got her hair braided. Like I get my hair in box braids. Like, that's really cool. I'll say, hey, do you really like it? I'm like, huh, that is really cool. Do you want me to do something that would be similar to that? That'd be appropriate for your hairstyle, your hair texture and everything. I'm like, yeah. So sometimes I'll do Dutch braids or do a really cool hairstyle that will be very, that would kind of mimic, but that would be appropriate for their um, texture and their um and their density of the hair and porosity of the hair. And so very early on that we had the conversation that right now they don't really ask too many questions. Mm-hmm. I'm sure as they get older, they will and we'll have conversations again. But right now they've learned how to take care of their own hair. They don't know too much about taking care of their own siblings hair, um, but they know a lot about their hair and they know that their hair is different, but that we also celebrate all hair like textures in our home and we don't love one more because it's easier to manage um we just love it and we learn how to take care of all hair types in our home i think that's so awesome how you guys have normalized their differences so much and it sounds like you emphasize what makes them a family the most and i i think that's really really awesome to hear so thank you guys for that well thank you thank you Well, thank you so much for joining guys. Please let us know if you have any other questions. I'd love to pass them on or um, answer them myself. We are at Destiny Adoption Foundation on Instagram. I hope that you guys take this opportunity um, that you've been here for this Juneteenth webinar, but also to spend Juneteenth with a new energy to educate yourself and others and to help promote Um, our country and this world to be a more inclusive and fair place. I love you guys all. Thank you so much for joining us and I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in for this bonus episode. It was so fun. We were really excited to have this opportunity to just pop in with a fun extra episode. We'll be back with our podcast with season three on July 11th. We hope you have a wonderful Juneteenth. And like was mentioned in the conversation, hope that we can each take some time to understand a little bit more and uh, do what we can to make our country a better place. Yes, be more unified and keep learning. That's really our overall goal, I think, too. Just keep learning and keep growing. So thank you so much for joining us.